0: Welcome to a new episode of New Work in Intellectual History. My name is Selma Sondern and I'm a master's student of intellectual history at the University of St. Andrews. I'm joined today by Dr. Ovanus Akopian, who is a research fellow at the University of Innsbruck in Austria, where he is currently working in a project about Latin and early modern scientific literature called Nosemos. Ovanus research focuses on the Renaissance and early modern intellectual history Cosmology and the History of Science. In 2020, he published a book with Brill entitled Debating the Stars in the Italian Renaissance, Giovanni Pico della Mirandola's Disputationes Adversus Astrologiam Divinatritsem and its Reception. In today's episode, we will talk about this book and also uncover how it has led to Ivana's current research on the perception of natural disasters in early modern scientific literature, and early modern theories of tides. Welcome, Ivanis, and thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Selma, for this nice introduction, and thanks for having me today.
0: Before we dive into the book, I was wondering whether you could tell us about what led you to research the history of astrology. How, How did you get there?
1: Um, that's a very good question. I honestly I don't know exactly how it um, all started, but at some point I think so I am originally from Armenia. Um, and, but I grew up in Russia and when I entered Moscow State University, I think in my second year, I was thinking about what to to write about in uh, like for my uh, BA and then master uh, thesis and I I was suggested that um, there is a very interesting person, uh, namely Giovanni Pico Dalle who wrote a lot about uh, various topics, including astrology. And that's how I uh, started delving into um, Giovanni Pico's biography and into this particular text. And then uh, somehow I decided to. To write first my mother's thesis on 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 him and then my uh, my PhD, which I defended uh, in uh, Warwick in the UK. So um, nothing uh, spectacular, I must say. So no interest in astrology whatsoever, <laughs> uh, exclusively. Uh, even though I know that a lot of people who um, who do astrology um, are uh, interested. Uh, personally in how uh, the constellations of, of the stars can affect their personal lives, but um, I'm not one of them. So my interest is purely scientific and uh, purely humanistic, if I may say so.
0: Okay, um, well then could you take us there? Could we start with the basis? Who was Giovanni Pico della Mirandola and also what were these Disputaciones that you're t- talking about?
1: Giovanni Pico was a a, a very talented and kind of idiosyncratic person um, who um, became a legend during his lifetime, and he also died aged uh, 31, which I think also helped uh, build this um, enigmatic uh, aura around his, his name. He was the first uh, Christian Kabbalist. So uh, um, he introduced um, uh, Kabbalistic literature, this um, esoteric um, Jewish tradition into uh, Christian discourse. Uh, He knew uh, Hebrew, even though we're not entirely sure about how fluent he was. So he had some translators who assisted him and translated some some works uh, into Latin for him. Uh, but nonetheless, he uh, managed to achieve a lot during uh, his short career and composed several, uh, several pretty influential writings, including the first uh, Christian Kabbalistic um, treatises. In, uh, uh, some of them are, I think all of them are published in English and uh, obviously in Italian. And by the end of his life, uh, he uh, started writing on the Disputaciones. So disputations against judicial astrology, a specific uh, uh, sort of astrology, uh, the one that predicts um, uh, one's uh, uh, future events of one's life. Uh, The thing is that, as you probably know, and that astrology and astronomy uh, were um, intertwined in the middle ages and, in in the Renaissance period. So basically when you encounter a text on astronomy, it might be on astrology and vice versa. Uh, For instance, this famous medieval uh, treatise the Speculum Astronomia. Uh, So um, you can can sense astronomy in the title, but basically it's about illicit or illicit practices like magical practices um, uh, that one uh, can adopt uh, adopt and so basically he attacked a particular um, kind of uh, astrology um astrology in our modern uh, sense of of the word but um it was probably it's often been referred to as the most uh, significant attack on astrology a discipline that uh, attracted widespread fascination in in that period. And uh, some people even claim that Pico's attack was kind of instrumental in uh, in the gradual decline of astrology, even though I would slightly disagree with with this statement, but nonetheless, it influenced some subsequent um, treatises against astrology. And there've been even some uh, speculation that uh, Copernicus uh, I mean, he definitely read it, but that Pico's attack even um, uh, had an impact on on his idea of of a new um, world system. Um so it was a very um, spectacular text, widely read. But what is important is that basically, unfortunately, the autograph of this of this treatise has been lost and it was published only after pico's death untimely death uh probably he was poisoned but it's not clear either uh by it was published by his nephew who was a uh, um, ardent follower of girolamo savonarola the florentine monk and uh, prophet uh, or self-proclaimed prophet and the question was uh, and uh, that's one of the Questions I tried to to respond to in my book, um, whether this book um, had been um, had been a forgery, um, in, intended to serve Savonarola's personal interest, or it it was uh, can be considered as Pico's original um, uh, piece, and so I tried to respond to this question and. Uh, uh, I think like in the end, I, um, given that the autograph uh, is lost, uh, I can't be 100% sure, but it looks like it was an original writing uh, by Pico, because it uh, also has some similarities with, with his other uh, um, works uh, um, uh, published during his lifetime, so no questions about there. Uh, authenticity uh, and uh, so i traced what um, had prompted this this attack and the another problem that uh, at first he seems to have backed astrology in one way or another so basically what i mean how he changed his mind about this uh, about these things and um, then uh, the second part of, of the volume is uh, the reception of or, or as I call it, immediate reception of this work. So those people who responded immediately after the publication of the text uh, who were aware of this authenticity problem and uh, and I uh, basically investigated how they perceived the text, the author, and this change in his worldview yeah. that had happened during um, his lifetime. Yeah, so that's in short, uh, even though it's not really short, but sorry about that.
0: (laughs) That was a fantastic overview to start us off with. So thank you. Um, Before we go um, back to some of the things you said and go into more detail, um, I was wondering whether you could kind of set the scene for us. Your book is set in the late 15th, early 16th century Italy. Um, What is the historical context that we're talking about here? And how does um, Giovanni Pico uh, fit into that?
1: Uh, so I think uh, there were two main uh, intellectual trends. So it's a, basically a book about intellectual history. So uh, I will focus on two uh, sets of problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the first one is um, uh, the so-called revival of ancient uh, theology. Um, the thing is that Marsilio Ficino, Pico's elder um, uh, friend, colleague, uh, was the first uh, the first translator of the whole Platonic uh, corpus into Latin, and along with uh, with Plato, he also translated several uh, theurgical or um, magical treatises like Hermes Trismegistus, um, Asseudo-Zoroaster and so on. Uh, the the texts that were deemed super ancient, uh, super magical, and s- Something, um, you know, the text that preceded Christianity, but had some traces of Christianity before Christianity. Mm. So the idea is that basically, um, uh, uh, I mean, obviously, like from from the Christian point of view, uh, before Christianity was formed, um, God had existed already right so he should have spread some you know fruits of his wisdom across across the globe Uh, and uh, these these texts were perceived as um, proto-christian in in one way or another and so the idea was to to uncover this um, like divine wisdom uh, before christianity uh, even though the texts were in fact, written uh, much later, like um, the second uh, or so third centuries after uh, Christ, uh, so AD. And um, that's, uh, but Ficino didn't know about that. And so he reconstructed this weird Prisca Theologia doctrine. Uh, that uh, there were several ancient um, sages Mm -hmm. uh, who wrote those treatises, and then at some point we reached Christianity as the um, climax of, of basically of Christian wisdom, Um, of wisdom in general, not even Christian. And Pico uh, basically followed this, this trope, especially at the early stage of his career when he, um uh, was particularly interested in the kabbalah so basically for him kabbalah was one of these uh, steps towards the um uh, the uh triumph of of christianity of christian mm-hmm. uh, christian uh, teaching and so on uh so for him it was important to read kabbalistic texts to understand to better understand christian dogmas Mm-hmm. um but then at some point uh, especially uh like in the in late um 1480s and early 90s savonarola uh, became a like a big big deal his his uh, sermons and he was even invited to florence and became friends with uh, with many people including pico and uh, some people Suggests that Pico found himself under Savonarola's influence. And that uh, basically was the reason for, for this shift, for this intellectual shift. So he was a Kabbalist Christian theologian uh, before before meeting Savonarola, and then uh, transformed into a radical, um, I don't know, radical uh, Savonarola, uh, fan or what whatever uh but um i basically i argued that that wasn't the case uh that pico was a very um uh, very uh how to put it nicely uh, a very difficult person to to deal with so he didn't hear uh so he he, he wasn't interested in, in others' opinions about his work. So he attacked Ficino, for instance, fiercely. I, it's very difficult to imagine him being uh, uh, under someone's influence. Um, and, but in the end, he developed his own agenda, as I claim in, uh, in the book. Uh, we can see some points of continuity rather than rupture during his career. And uh, one of the texts I'm dealing uh, with in particular is, uh, is basically it's a short treatise written in 1491 in which he criticizes Ficino, but also what is important, particularly important in the case of astrology, the idea that there was actually a um, long standing tradition of knowledge. Basically, we should treat every author as an individual author, rather than ascribing them to a certain school or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this text, uh, in my opinion, uh, marks a, um, like a change of uh, uh, his intel- change in his intellectual uh, philosophical method, and he used it in the Disputaciones. And it wasn't written under Savonarola's spell at all. Uh, So we can see that Savonarola didn't have to do uh, anything to do with with this particular text. And that's why it would be absurd to to blame Savonarola for this mistake, uh, for, I mean, for uh, impacting Pico. Uh, but what is important that Savonarola Savonarola's circles definitely used the Disputaciones after Pico's death to promote their own agenda. So it's it wasn't Pico who was influenced by Savonarola, but Savonarola who used Pico's text um, to his advantage. Okay. And yeah, so that's uh, I think that's like um, the two main things that uh, you're audience um, should know or already know definitely about this period and how uh, they affected Pico.
0: Yeah, and you just uh, talked about this treaty in 1491 that you think is a or that you uh, argue is a um, turning point in Pico's writings. That leads me to a more technical question. I was wondering, could you cha- share which research questions did you set yourself and how did you approach the topic? How was your research structured? Which text did you use, et cetera?
1: Luckily, the entire corpus of Pico's writing is not huge. so uh, um, So it will be an audio interview, but I can show you here that we've got basically six six books or, or something uh, like publications and this three volume uh, edition uh, in uh, Latin Italian is uh, like the core thing for every Pico yeah. scholar, so it's not much. Uh, so basically, the, I mean, I read uh, all all the all the texts and. Um, the problems that pico has been uh, i mean he's he's been uh, a legendary figure in like the scholarship you know about this orats the Hominis dignitate uh, the manifesto of renaissance humanism uh, at least uh, it's it's been called like that um also especially in italian scholarship but as a matter of fact it wasn't And it was uh, like a text about uh, various, various things, but um, a lot has been written on people. Uh, Which makes it very difficult to distinguish between good literature and bad literature. Uh, So I tried to stick to uh, some good um, secondary studies, so I uh, read a lot about about that, but um, I realized that Interestingly, um, a lot of mistakes have been done, a lot of misinterpretations of his thought uh, um, have uh, occurred, and the problems that uh, basically every scholar approaches Pico probably already having a certain uh, idea about his, uh, uh, his over in mind. And that's what I tried to avoid to go um, like at fontes uh, to my sources. Um, uh, rather than like um, repeating someone else's ideas about uh, what Pico was and uh, what his uh, over uh, represents and so on. It's um, I mean, it was a challenge, I must say. Uh, but um, I think uh, my, the outcome. I'm kind of happy with the with the outcome. I, even though I must confess that um, now I think that the time to translate the Disputationes has come, mm-hmm. uh, because it's only available in uh, in uh, Italian. So this Italian edition was made in in the 40s. So it's a pretty old one and uh, sometimes inaccurate uh the translation as well and um yeah it might be a good idea but uh, it comprises two volumes and so it's a pretty long text and um yeah that's that's a
0: new research project then
1: <laughs> yes yes yes
0: um okay so so much for the technical side of things um i would like to now go a bit more into what you found out um and first of all you researched the receptions of, of this work. So I was wondering who read Giovanni Pico in his time um, and how was it received, how was it circulated? And um, you just mentioned that he had works published during his lifetime and then the Disputationes were published after he was already dead. Um, how does it differ between the works that he published himself and then the works that were published posthumously?
1: Uh, so basically, during his lifetime, he published I think three uh, three texts were published only. But then, in 1496, his uh, his nephew, this this Ardens uh, Savonarolan person, um, he decided to publish the Opera Omnia of, of Pico and collected almost all the works, apart from the one uh, banned by um, by by the Inquisition, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so for him, it was a a total taboo and that's why he decided against including it. And uh, some of the authors I'm dealing with uh, in the book read uh, like first drafts, like before the publication um, and responded uh, in as early as, uh, 1495, so one year before the publication. Mm-hmm. But uh, most of them uh, reacted directly to the publication, and also this idea that Savonarola had something to do with it influenced their responses. So I have basically th- uh, two, th- uh, six authors mm-hmm. in the second part of the book, three uh, pro Piconian uh, or anti-astrologic, astrological um, texts uh, by Savonarola, by Nephew, by Pico's nephew, Uh, so he he composed uh, like a separate text against astrology, uh, in which he relied heavily on, on what his uncle had written. And a very interesting episode of the reception of this particular text in uh, 16th century Russia, mm-hmm. that uh, there was a certain Greek monk who uh, was heavily influenced by by Savonarola actually, and wanted to become a, a, a Catholic monk. But then at some point he moved back to Greece from Italy and then to Russia. And uh, for, for some reason, he decided to, to compose a few um, epistles against astrology, mm-hmm. in which he uh, criticized uh, fiercely, basically, Catholicism, and regarded astrology and philosophy as um, uh, Latin, that is, Catholic, sins. But he used some arguments taken from basically Savonarola's uh, uh, work against astrologers, but also from from Pico's. So that's a very weird way, um, Mm -hmm. right, to to read Pico and Savonarola. But in the end, it uh, reached um, uh, distance, distant areas, such as Moscow. And uh, in the second part of, 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 of this section, I deal with three authors who read uh, Pico uh, and responded to his attack in the, like negatively. Um, uh, Francesco Zorzi, Giovanni Pontano and uh, Lucio Bellanti. But what is interesting that even though they all of them, dealt with different sets of sources and different uh, uh, like ideas about how to to respond. uh, They all pursued the same goal to restore a Christianized astrology a concept that was extremely popular in the Middle Ages, uh, because uh, in the wake of the transmission of Islamic knowledge, uh, in Europe uh, the the dominant idea about what to do with astrology was that we can adopt it for for the benefit of of, uh, of the Christian religion and um, even though we are against uh, predestination and all all these things um, uh, astrology offers a very good um, set of uh, signs so to speak of divine, wisdom and divine intervention into the terrestrial world uh, so if you read astrological constellations as science you are more or less fine and uh, so they adopted it um, uh, in this way and uh, basically that's what i call a christianized version of astrology because they even interpreted several christian um dogmas with uh, you know with astrological imagery so kind of crazy uh but uh, nonetheless so all of them all these three authors uh tried to do um try to achieve that uh i mean in the end they they failed but uh, uh yeah that's interesting how uh, they adopted different approaches
0: yeah. yeah. And if you say that they these three houses in particular, they failed. Um, would you say that on the other hand, there was a reassessment of the status of astrology in response to the publication of the disputaciones? And more concretely, what was the status quo kind of before in Renaissance astrology and how did it change in response to the disputaciones? Is there the possibility to draw conclusions?
1: Uh, I think no. I think that astrology, its popularity lasted uh, for very very long time. Uh, so I think it got demolished from from uh, the re- realm of uh, legitimate knowledge only in the in the late seventies uh, 70th century, mm-hmm. uh, not earlier. We know that, for instance, Kepler or Galileo made uh, horoscopes, and uh, so there were especially. Uh, Kepler was a professional astrologer. And I think the main idea for those who um, like read Pico's Disputaciones in the 16th century was to transform or to adapt astrology, to find a way to, um, to, to get rid of, of the discrepancies Pico had described in, in the Disputaciones. Um, so that was one of his main uh, points that there are so many discrepancies uh, and problems in, uh, especially in uh, you know, in practical astrology, that no one can believe that this science works because they can't agree on anything like uh, among themselves. They have different numbers of spheres, et cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, so I think 16th century um, readers of Pico, uh, they tried to adapt it, to change it, to make it more, um, uh, I don't know, uh, scientific, uh, concrete. Uh, and um, but in the end, obviously, astrology, and we know that it's not part of. of of legitimate knowledge anymore and in this regard i think uh the astrologers failed to 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 describe the um the universe right but obviously uh, in the middle ages and in the early renaissance it was a very um, very respected field of knowledge and many scholars um uh, were involved in uh, like speculations about astrology etc mm-hmm. so in this regard i would i would say that pico was an exception rather than uh, you know an ordinary uh renaissance scholar
0: okay thank you um maybe we can summarize uh, what we just mm-hmm. talked about um by could you tell us what the main arguments in your opinion are that you um, offer in your book, and especially how these arguments differ
1: from other accounts of Picos Disputaciones? Um, I think, like, the main argument is to. Uh, the main argument is uh, that Picos Disputaciones was written by him, uh, in all likelihood. I'm, I'm, again, I'm not entirely sure, probably well uh, i'll need to or will need to to use some statistical analysis to to prove it uh like 100 percent uh but um yeah from i mean from my reading it seems like it was a, an original uh treatise. and uh, it has some continuity so it shows some continuity with the rest of Pico's over and uh, that pico's approach was uh, a very humanist one for him it wasn't astrology obviously it is against uh, you know christian christian teachings but his whole point was that astrology is embroiled in so many problems and mistakes that no one can trust it
0: Mm
1: And that was uh, it. Had a long-standing um, effect on 16th and 17th century uh, intellectual history, and we know that uh, many prominent, or uh, let's call them, uh, the fathers of the scientific revolution. Even though, yeah, we know that uh, it's a very um, problematic term. But nonetheless, they read because this potaciones responded to it. And so uh, it uh, changed the way uh, Renaissance scholars thought of of cosmology. And for instance, Robert Westman in his uh, Copernican uh, question, um, basically for him, Copernicus Arrived in Bologna, this in the same year when Pico's Disputaciones was published, and his teacher was a professional astrologer, and in all likelihood, he um, he was very well familiar with this text, and according to Westman, he even responded to one particular passage when he came up with his heliocentric system, uh, taken from Pico's Disputaciones. So. Uh, I think, and I, I, in, in this regard, I agree with, with Westman, that he, it had a very important influence on, on subsequent generations of astronomers, astrologers, or um, cosmologists, yeah, to put it uh, more widely. And uh, that's what makes this text uh, particularly attractive and important in the history of knowledge.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, your more current research goes under yes. the title "Explaining Natural Disasters in Early Modern Europe: Science, Politics, and Rhetoric." And then you also have another project going on about early modern theories of tides. Um, how did these projects develop out of uh, out of your more um, Previous research and and what could you take from the findings that you had from before?
1: I would also add one one extra project, oh, wow. if I may. Yes, <laughs> it's it it concerns um, uh, something on how to put it uh, on the reception of European knowledge in sixteenth uh, century Russia. Mm-hmm. And the image of Russia in uh, European writing uh, in contemporary European writing. So uh, I think um, like the Pico research influenced uh, all all I mean everything I've been doing recently because uh, he was I mean I can begin with uh, with this Russia. Uh, Europe thing basically this Maximus the Greek the person who read Savonarola and Pico uh, or probably yeah um, used their their, some of their arguments uh, whilst in Russia Um, he was my uh, starting point like for for this uh, for this research and uh, that's interesting because he was basically the first intellectual to begin A more or less systematic reception of European uh, knowledge in, in, in Muscovy. And uh, the problem is that basically the number of texts that cross the border between Europe and Russia was so limited that every, every, uh, every piece is uh, like a, a gem. Uh, which uh, on, on the one hand makes it kind of difficult to, um, like to provide a very broad picture of what the reception was. But on the other, uh, you have a very limited corpus with uh, particularly important texts because, I mean, after all, they did cross the border for mm-hmm. some reason. And uh, so they got into a completely different context, they were read differently, especially in comparison to what was going on in Europe. And uh, I think it sheds light on on um, on a very peculiar character of Russian culture of, of the time, because interestingly, I mean, we all know, especially nowadays, that uh, the relations between the two sides had their um ups and downs but interestingly really before the there was no reception like systematic reception of european texts uh in russia before the mid-17th century mm-hmm. uh no one knows why so uh, apparently there was no um uh, uh, like educational system whatsoever unlike like Europe. The university in europe etc but uh nonetheless it is kind of surprising that russia uh deliberately distanced uh, itself from um in renaissance intellectual uh trends etc and uh, that's what i want to uncover in like i i've published something about that but at some point i like to to write something more um uh, Ambitious about that. Yeah. As for tides, Pico, and this is a very interesting moment that every, uh, almost every big um, name in the history of knowledge, uh, of, uh, like in the early modern period, wrote something about the origin of tithes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Descartes, Newton, Kepler, uh, Galileo, obviously. And because for all of them, it was a matter of, um, of cosmology for Galileo, for instance, it proved, um, the heliocentric, uh, worldview. Um, and Pico was, was one of the authors who touched upon this particular problem and criticized astrologers because basically it was one of the main, um, uh, um, interpretations of, of this flow and, effect uh, the astrological one mm-hmm. uh so he could test astrologers for like misinterpreting everything as always and that was my starting point for this for this part of uh, um for for this uh, ongoing research as for natural disasters uh, probably from my um uh brief uh, summary of uh of my pico research uh, it has become more or less clear that i'm i'm not a like uh historian of science strictly speaking i'm Mm -hmm. like really in between various fields and one of the the subjects i'm very much interested in is the reception of the classical tradition which also affected pico and his his circles and basically in my in my Hopefully it will come out at some point, at least it's uh, it's already contracted. Um, I deal with uh, basically with the way uh, classical accounts uh, influenced early modern understandings of natural disasters, how um, volcano or uh, earthquake accounts were shaped by Seneca uh, aristotle etc etc how this avalanche of um classical authors influenced this i'm um, um, basically descriptions and um, explanations of these events because uh, obviously um we know that like uh, the proper scientific uh, argument uh, interpretation of earthquakes for instance um was developed only like in the 19th early 20th century so mm-hmm. they should do something about that um right and uh, classical classical authors were uh, and offered an important uh insight into what to do with or with the uh, earthquake interpretations for instance so basically, that's um, also, I think, derives from my um, uh, uh, initial interest in in Renaissance
0: uh, wow. uh,
1: intellectual culture. Yeah.
0: That sounds like you have a lot of work in front of you. Uh... Oh, yes. Oh, yes.
1: <laughs> that's totally true. Uh, and it's kind of difficult to handle, but
0: um, uh, yeah. Well. <laughs>
1: i'm uh, that's uh, unfortunately i'm uh, interested in so many things and uh, yeah uh, on the one hand it's a good thing uh for sure but on the other yeah it is difficult to to handle uh, all at once
0: but it gives a lot of content for uh, other interviews so um With that, I want to finish this one, and I want to thank you for enlightening us, especially about Giovanni Pico, and then also granting us an insight into your current and future projects. Um, I wish you all the best, and I hope to hear you again.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you.